Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Conversations With. This past football season, and for that matter, the basketball season, has seemingly not been a great one for officiating. In the NFL, there were a number of decisions made on the field that had fans, players, and the league itself backpedaling on explanations. The Super Bowl between Philly and Kansas City had a call like that at the end of the game that arguably handed the game to KC. In the Michigan versus TCU game in the college football national semifinals, a Michigan touchdown pass was overturned by a replay official that defied logic. Have the guys and gals in the striped shirts gotten better or worse? Have the games and players gotten too fast and too good for those in charge of enforcing the rules? It's an interesting topic to ponder. And for all things officiating, we turn to our expert and friend, Dick Honig. Dick worked over 40 years in the officiating business. He was at the Division I level in football and basketball on the field in the middle of the action in the Big Ten and Mid-American Conference. He then moved to the replay booth when that technology emerged and helped integrate video replay into game management. While he was in the midst of his on-field career, Dick started an apparel business that catered to all things officials, umpires, and referees. When you saw one of the zebras out there, he was probably wearing his game uniform that he purchased at one of Dick's Whistle Stop stores. He's never stopped being an official. So who better to check on the state of officiating these days than to have a conversation with Dick Honig. So now, are you finally retired out of the referee apparel business, Dick? Yes, I am. And, I can't, you know, I didn't get it soon enough. Actually, I got it at a great time because... As soon as COVID hit, the, the officiating apparel business went to nothing. So uh, it was a great time for me. <laughs> and, you, and you called it the whistle stop where you sold officials over the years. How many years were you in business and you sold officials their apparel, their game uniforms as it was for how many years? 35 years. How much did that business <laughs> change over the years? Well, I actually, at the end of my time and the reason I sold, it completely went topsy-turvy because the Internet changed everything, and it's changed everything with everything we do uh, this day, along with cell phones. Uh, the, uh, our, our philosophy in the business was to, uh, to have hands-on availability to the officials. So we had 11 different uh, offices around the country so people could have hands-on. Well, with the internet, they said, I just, you know, click on my, uh, click on my computer and see what's out there and buy. And I don't even have to go anywhere. So basically so, from your perspective, the internet wasn't helpful to your business. It actually hindered it a bit. It's exactly right. Our philosophy anyway, it changed our philosophy. And then of course, you know, we weren't prepared and we got uh, hacked a couple times and that's very costly. So, uh, it's like the world. I mean, everybody is at some point. You know, if you're doing business on the internet, you really have to be super safe with the handling of information. Boy, that's a fact. No question. Okay, let's get into officiating. Now, you were an on-field official for years and years. Uh, you also spent time in the replay booth. So you know the game from the ground up. So let's look at this past season, the 2022-2023 season, NFL and college. How did you think officiating ranked or graded out during this past season? Because, Dick, I got to tell you, watching the games, man, there were a lot of calls that were somewhat questionable that a lot of fan bases thought we got the short end of the stick. 
Well, let's let's start with the college game anyway. I think there's there's some some really important aspects of college that the NFL doesn't have, and maybe never will have, and maybe doesn't want. But we can, as an as a replay official in college, basically fix a problem. Period. Now there are requirements. You know, you can only fix so many things. But the truth is, as a replay official. When you get in there and you see something glaring that is wrong, whether it is you can do it or don't not do it, you do it and, and get it straight because the media will kill you if you don't, regardless of whether you're supposed to do it or not. So the college game has a little better, I think, perspective as to how they handle replay. Now, obviously, the NFL tried that at one point, and they just, you know, it was early on in, in and they did too much, you know, that they, they did, they changed things to change a first down play by a yard. You know, that isn't necessary. And the college games has, has addressed those situations. But with the NFL, the coach has to initiate until the last two minutes, has to initiate any challenge so that teams that are really smart, and there was one particular game in the NFL that the uh, the receiver caught a long pass, but he knew he didn't catch it. You know, they had ruled it a catch. So he gets up real quickly, runs back to the huddle, and they snap the ball, and it's over. Can't do anything about it. Uh, from that standpoint, I think the uh, the the college game is ahead of the of the pro game. Then the other aspect is these athletes are so doggone talented. You cannot imagine what they can do in, in, with their abilities. I mean, it, it's incredible. I, I'm sure you've seen that, you know, from your playing oh, days. There's and no out, question. You know, <laughs> there's Crazy. no question. These these guys play fast. They can do things you can't even imagine. And in real time, it's almost impossible for an official or anybody watching it to kind of gauge it. They do an absolutely fabulous job as it is, but the job that isn't fabulous gets pointed out, it's like a sore thumb. We have the media and, and availability of, uh, of the different uh, uh, sites that will find a play and put it up on YouTube or whatever, you know, and so it, it, it magnifies something that, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't even be talked about. So, you know, the media hasn't helped the situation, but that's the aspect we're looking at right now. Okay. Well, the one thing about replaying, you went on to it and you talked about it, is I want to talk about this may need to be fixed a little bit, and here's why, Dick, and I go right to the Michigan game against TCU. There was a touchdown catch, in my opinion, that Michigan threw. The Michigan receiver caught it on the goal line. It was so close. It was impossible to tell truly whether he gained control outside the field of play or in the end zone. In my judgment, you looked at that replay, and there clearly was not a quote-unquote indisputable video frame of evidence to overturn a call of touchdown and yet they did and i think that's one of those situations where you've got to let the guy on the field be the official you can't official the game from the booth and yet that play got overturned michigan doesn't score they fumble the next play everybody says well they shouldn't have fumbled but the point is that play should have never been run in my judgment what's your take on that you are correct it was it was a touchdown he did not possess the ball Unfortunately, like like officiating in general, and, and replay is no different. It's a subjective situation. 
And it's up to the person who is looking at that play to make that decision. Does it meet all of the requirements to be X or Y or Z? And if he deems it not to be, then uh, unfortunately uh, he makes a mistake and it, and it doesn't get left to what it was called on the field. That that's, that's still an issue and it'll never not be an issue. Now, I, I don't know if you've seen the publicity out or, or the, the stuff that's out. All the major five conferences have been, actually four of the five have been in a collaborative situation with the conference office. The Big Ten has not been that way. Uh, and it looks like the Big Ten will now go to that type of a of a situation where not only the official at the game site, that replay official, but now he's going to collaborate with somebody that's in the quote home office for that conference uh, to deem that they have made that correct decision. Uh, now the TCU situation was that way. So there was a double mistake. It was a mistake by the replay official at the field. And it was a mistake in the conference office who said that decision was correct. So uh, um, I think they're trying to make, I guess, more people involved in making that decision or making sure there is a correctness in that call. If you recall back a few years ago, the referee never had the opportunity to see what was being determined in the replay booth. They've made that adjustment. Now the referee can look at that play and, and say, and I don't think you're you're looking at this right, or you missed this, or you did this, or what, or the rule says that we should be this. So, uh, so they're they're making progress to to uh, to alleviate those situations where a mistake is made and and not corrected or incorrectly handled. Okay, let me ask you this from a layperson standpoint, and this is kind of where I come down as an old offensive lineman. It's logic. If the rule that you're deciding upon says indisputable video evidence. If one guy agrees that, no, that's the call. And another guy says, no, that's not the call. That's not indisputable. So therefore the call on the field should stand. That's where I have a problem with. If it's indisputable, then everybody has to agree. And if one or two don't agree, you got to go with a call on the field. And yet it seems like more often they're not doing that. If there is a dispute, am I wrong on that logic? No, no, you are. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Take the TCU-Michigan game. There was a play, the play at the end of the game. Do we have targeting or do we not have targeting? Right. If we have targeting, do you remember that? I sure do. So if we have targeting, there's another play, and Michigan has another opportunity. So I'm thinking, and in my opinion, we have targeting, okay? So it goes to review, which is automatic. And it goes back, and they they take two or three minutes to do, and they come back, and they say there's no targeting. Okay, well, I'm I'm not real happy with that, so I call about three or four of my buddies who are in the replay booth, and I said, I want your take on this call. The exact situation that you talked about, half of them said they thought it was targeting. Half of them thought, well, did it meet fully the requirements you have for targeting? So, in essence, they let the call stand. You know, there, there's, there's two situations in which, you know, you can, you can say, 
well, did they do it right or did they do it wrong? But they left the, and that's in the last situation, they had a chance to change it if it was wrong and they left it stand as the, it was called on the field. But it was called targeting on the field, so they took targeting away from that situation. So that call was overturned by uh, yes. the preponderance of evidence where you didn't have a full agreement. And that's what I mean. If you had half right. the guys say no and half the guys say yes, what is called on the field should stand. At least, you know, that's, the the way, at least that's the way yeah. the, the rule is supposed to read, indisputable yeah. video evidence. You know, we got into us that the, the, the axiom for, for replay was if you had 10 guys sitting in a bar watching <laughs> this game, could they all agree? <laughs> and you're never going to have that. <laughs> well, they may say, let's say the majority anyway. <laughs> and that's the other thing. We, we, you've led me into my next question, which is targeting, which is one of those things in collegiate game. It is so very subjective. We've kind of gone off on the replay. We, I think somehow, some way need to get it fixed. And if there's a second person in there and he disagrees, then that indisputable language that word needs to come into play and the call on the the, the field should stand I, i'm i'm with that this next one is the the targeting rule it's so subjective because i know there are times where a ball carrier will lower his head as he carries the ball and really create the targeting where a defensive player is coming in to make the proper play hit with the shoulder and it's the offensive player that almost creates the targeting issue and it's the defensive player that pays the price. Do you see that often and do you see why that doesn't seem fair? I agree with that. And in it, the offensive guy is given more liberty than the defensive guy. No question about it. But when we look at targeting and, and obviously every targeting is reviewed, there are certain aspects that we have to look at. You know, one, is he a defenseless or is he a runner? Is, is the crown of the helmet involved? Is the hit to the head? Uh, and there are all these, there's, there's probably five aspects that they have to look at and say, yes, 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 yes. And if they say yes, yes, no, then it's not targeting and they take it off. And the reason they did that is that they felt there were some situations in which they only, they only met three of the four of the criteria that was needed to do it. And now we were penalizing that player and putting him out for that period of time and the next half of the game, depending on which, which half it occurs in. So they were trying to make it better for the player who we may, may have made a mistake in calling targeting for. And the thing about targeting, and this is what's important, I think, and it has to be this. Player safety is the main concern, is what everyone is concerned about in regards to that particular call. So you've got to be careful, but you also, I think, have to be fair to the player. And that's a fine line to walk, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is very fair. I think what they, they try to do in this whole deal is when you tackle, keep your head up. You put your head down. You could hurt yourself as well as the person you are hitting. Yeah, and that's, I think, the most important part is player safety in that rule itself. Yeah. Okay, let's go Correct. to the NFL now. And, and, and in the NFL, you talked about how things go on YouTube. And to prepare for this interview with you about officiating, I went to YouTube and I just searched NFL controversial calls. And, <laughs> Dick, it was unbelievable. Up comes the title of the videos were NFL controversial and horrible calls for 2022. 
Week 15, there was 12 minutes and 55 seconds of a video. Week 14, 13 minutes. Week 18, 10 and a half minutes. Week 5, week 9. I mean, they had every week on YouTube, they literally had 10 to 15 minutes of horrible calls. And you look at them, even the announcers on the TVs talked about how badly they were you know, managed by the officials. And on a couple of occasions, the official who was in the booth also kind of disagreed with the guy on the field. So the NFL had their issues and particularly in the Super Bowl. And there are billions of people watching that game. That last defensive holding pass interference on Philadelphia basically ended the game for Kansas city. I thought it was a little ticky tack because during the game, there were tons more egregious holds and interference on like Kelsey and Goddard, the two tight ends. They never got off the ball cleanly. They were always grabbed and held. And yet maybe one or two of those calls were made. And that's the one thing I think most people feel is that consistency is the important part. And on that play, at that point in the game, it was almost a giveaway at that point, that call. Yeah. When you get it's it's basketball or football or whatever, you don't make a call at the end of the game that isn't clearly, clearly there. Dave Perry, the old thing, you know, is one of his philosophies is make it be there, you know, and uh, uh, this play is just exactly right. It didn't meet that criteria because there had been a hundred plays prior to that that were the same. So why at that time do you make the decision to make that little call without somebody being literally drugged down? I agree. And the thing I keep telling people is, look, I'm not giving Philadelphia the game. Kansas City's going right. to kick it, and they're going to have the lead, but it's going to at least give Philadelphia a minute and 40 seconds or something to have the ball and somehow work their way down to try to kick a field goal to tie it. That's all I was asking for because that Super Bowl was one of the best I'd seen, and that call yeah. eliminated that opportunity. Basically, the air came out of the balloon with about a minute and a half to go when it could have been one of the classics. I don't, I don't know what, I just, I don't think the NFL had a good year. I think that, that's, that's obvious. You can't go totally by what's on YouTube, but the person that's putting on there, uh, you know, is the fan of the team that lost and, uh, they're not happy. Uh, but I think you look at those plays and you would say, you know, I think maybe I agree that those were very good. One of the other things in the NFL, and I don't think it's as much in college, maybe you can and help me out on this, is that they seem to protect the quarterback in the NFL. I get it completely a lot. There's a lot of roughing the passer calls, but it seems like you know Tom Brady and uh, a Peyton Manning when he was playing or, or a veteran guy gets a few more of those calls than, say, Trevor Lawrence up in Jacksonville who's just starting his career. It, and, and yet there are a couple of calls, roughing the passer calls or in unnecessary roughness, that have changed the, the course of games it, the the law of justice is like one guy gets hit harder, the other guy, and the one call is roughing the passer, the other call isn't. Is that a problem or is that judgment? Is that one of those things where you got to be more consistent, and especially in the National Football League? You know, I, that, that's a great question. I, I'm I'm almost of the opinion I am going to probably be a little more protective of the Tom Brady's and those people who have gained the stature that they had over the number of years. I don't think it's it's a purposeful thing. I just think it's human nature to say, 
that, you know, here's a little older, you know, he's, uh, uh, he's, he's earned his stripes for 15 or 20 years like Brady has. Uh, maybe I'm going to be a little bit more lenient on, on, or, or more restrictive on what can happen to him. I, it's a good question, but it's a fact. I mean, I'm, I, I probably was no different than anybody else when I was refereeing is that, you know, the, the high stature guy probably got a little bit more protection than the, than the rookie. And in those instances, the referees have a pool reporter, right? And if you ask that question, like Joe Burrow, if he gets beat up and he's playing Brady and Brady gets, doesn't get the call, is there a pool reporter that comes in and talks about the officials? Does that help or hinder in explaining the call to quote-unquote the media? I think so. You know, one thing that, that, that they have done, it, and I was a part of that, that group, is that they have had, and I think the, if you watch the NCAA basketball, uh, when um, and Tony Starter uh, is the as uh, uh, the uh, Starter is the one that CBS has come in and he does a great job of explaining what has happened in the game and Mike Pereira and Dean Blandino and I for a number of years did that with uh, with Fox and the Big Ten Network and I think those those situations and it shouldn't just be on fouls it should be on situations that are unique to the game that need a little bit more explanation than what the referee can do or the, the knowledge of the announcers are not there uh, to allow a definition of something that happened that is important to the person that is viewing the game. You know, the interesting thing about that is with Sterator and Pereira and Blandino and all these guys, you mentioned Dave Perry, who I thought was a great one back in the day, but Dick, I'm speaking from, you know, the fan, the guy that's sitting in the bar. They always say, and I know you're not going to probably like this, but you know you've heard it. The guy who's in the booth, ah, he's just covering for the guy on the field. I mean, that's not necessarily true because I have seen them disagree at times. Right. You know, I, it, it, again, it may look like that, but, but I have never seen a situation or been involved in a situation in which I felt that was the case. Now you maybe also, bad judgment. It may be judgment, bad judgment. It may be an error, but in fact, I've never seen anybody try to cover up a a situation. It's too important, you know. Our our philosophy, you know, we're supposed to be neutral. We're supposed to be someone who has does not take sides an issue. You got to be down the road middle. Uh, you know, I take pride in that. You know, one of the things that that and I go back to my my days on the field is I was, I coached at Michigan, you know, as you well know, and yet I officiated in the Big Ten. And and I can honestly say that in the 22 years that I was on the field, there there wasn't any coach that that said, oh, he made that call because it helped Michigan. Uh, And and, and to me, that's the honorable situation an official has has to look at and be involved in. Okay, maybe we go back to the field again. The most difficult and the most controversial call official can make, because it is judgment, is the pass interference, offense, defense. Are they ever going to figure that out, or is it always going to be? I mean, the egregious ones, I think everybody gets. And most fans generally understand and get what interference is. But it's also the close ones. Is it ever going to be figured out? Or is it ever going to be kind of a cut and dried where, oh, yeah, he's right. Oh, no, he's wrong. I don't think it can ever be, quote, unquote, cut and dried right or wrong. 
I don't. I think you're right. I don't think it can ever be. You know, the Canadian Football League actually has pass interference being a reviewable aspect, and I don't think they can get it right either. So, I mean, it's it's subjective. Uh, it's uh, we have some again. We have some aspects that we have to look at. Does this happen? Does this happen? Does this happen? Is he playing the ball? Is he playing the man? You have certain things that you should put into your into your your mind when you're making that situation, but it's still subjective, and I don't think it can ever be anything but that. And you've got to have some leeway for the official in pass interference because this is a a call that always gets booed or gets cheered. Or coaches go crazy, but the fact is, you cannot as a defender. I don't care who you are not run with some guy, have no contact. There has to be no, right. a Impossible. little bit of contact somewhere, just running along, touching elbows or whatever. So that can't be a, a flag, but there's also aspects of it. And I think they're right in saying, these are the issues we look at. And if those right. issues are found, then it rises to the level of pass interference. And for you as an official to kind of you know bring pass interference back down to us, the fan. What are those right. issues that you just can't do as a defensive back that's going to get the call pretty much every time? Well, it's interesting is that nowadays the offensive guy creates as much contact as the defensive guy. So you've got to say, was there an advantage gained by that action either way? And if you say that, then then potentially you have, you have pass interference. But the key one is the guy playing the man or playing the ball. If he turns his head, you've heard that statement. If he turns his head and looks for the ball, he's probably got carte blanche in terms of contact. The other one is about, from an official standpoint, and you mentioned it, offensive player creating contact. If a defensive player is standing out there past the five yards that is, in the NFL anyway, the no-touch area, but an offensive player comes out and bangs into him, and he's allowed that territory on the field, is that offensive interference? It should be, yes, yes. I mean, a defender has the right to protect himself. So if a, if a, a offensive player comes out and he, he, you know, he makes some contact with the defensive guy, again, you have to determine was that initiated by the offense or initiated by the defense. If it's initiated by the offense and the defender is in a protective mode, then it should be nothing. If it's egregious if he tries to go down there and knock him backwards then you've got offensive pass interference we're getting into the weeds here but that's okay because i love this <laughs> you and i you and i love this this conversation and we, we talked a little bit about consistency now you've got a side judge on both sides of the field obviously passes are thrown outside the numbers both sides of the field the the question in many ways is the guy on the one side has a little more liberal understanding of interference. The guy on the other side doesn't. And that's where you get the inconsistency. But is that just the nature of the beast? It is. Unfortunately, it's personalities uh, that, you know, that uh, you have in the seven or eight individuals that you have within the, uh, the officiating group. Now, here's the other question. Do these guys, and I've noticed that they do, have communications with each other on a headset and they can get a hold of the referee or they can get a hold of somebody and talk and be heard rather than yelling across the field to have a meeting. Has that helped the officiating Definitely. crew get it together from a standpoint of consistency and togetherness? 
definitely has. The O2O's, official to official uh, communications is, as one, speeded up the game because you don't have people running, you know, running around trying to get attentions and they can just get on that O2O and, and, and make their presence known. But it, it, there's a key here that I think is important. And you see A making a call and B coming in and talking to him and then deciding that the, there is no foul on that play. Uh, the O2Os help that situation, but that's an important aspect of our officiating philosophy. You have, let's take that deep wing guy, that field judge or side judge. He has uh, a line of scrimmage guy looking at that play. He has a back judge looking at that play. He may even have an umpire looking at that play, depending on the distance down the field. We need those three or four people to be looking at this play and agreeing on that decision. And if there is some disagreement, there should be some conversation as to whether that call is correct or not. And sometimes it stays that way and sometimes it's changed. But I, I've never been a philosophy, had a philosophy that, that huddles and conversations are good. I'm kind of changing on that because there's some, these kids are so, these players are so good and, and so talented that you need eight eyes on that play rather than just two. That's the other thing I was going to get to in last kind of officiating question in regards to the weeds, the real details. What <laughs> what creates the opportunity for a referee to say, quote, pick up a flag? I mean, if he saw a foul, throws a flag, and we've seen it in the past, doesn't happen often, but it has happened. What's the criteria kind of for a guy to pick up the flag and say, oh, I guess I didn't see it? Well, first of all, he shouldn't throw that flag unless he's absolutely positive. But again, situations put you in a, a look at a play that may be not the most advantageous, but you are the person that is responsible firsthand to make that call. So you make that call because all the information you have says it's a foul. You might not have total information, but you have enough to make the call. So somebody else can add on and add some information into that into that that call that says, oh well, maybe maybe I didn't really have all the things that I needed to make that. And and I think this has been a very positive aspect of officiating that we have people uh, out there working that are not afraid to step in and say, wait a minute, Dick, did you really see this? This is what I saw. And and now that official that made the call says. Okay, I agree with you. Maybe I should not have made that call. Let's pick it up and go on and play. Well, I like the aspect of communication. I think that's great. Uh, so in that one, I don't have a problem. Again, here's my last, last question on detail. We've seen referees and officials, in football games particularly, ball turns over, a guy picks it up, he runs down and scores a touchdown, and he didn't blow a whistle. And, and it's kind of almost like replay is dictating when they can pull the trigger on blowing a whistle and stopping a play. And we've seen a couple referee officials get kind of caught in the middle when they've said, okay, progress was stopped, the play is over, and yet when you look at it on replay, it's not, but it's not one that can be overturned. Is that correctable, or is that one of those things where the officials are kind of hesitant because they know replay's up there backing them up? Uh, I hate to admit this, but the fact is, and we are told as officials, if you're not 100% sure, let the play go and let replay correct it. I'm not sure I like that. You know, growing up, with you had to make the call 
But on the other side of it, let's take the guy that picks up a, a ball and runs for a touchdown and his knee was down. So you bring it back and you put some time back on the clock and, and you give him the ball there. But now you, you stop the game because you said his knee's down. He's run for a touchdown and now you can't give him that touchdown. You can give him the ball, but you're stuck with that knee down. With technology the way it is and the fact that that we can correct that as, as a replay official. Those the fumbles that are down and, and not down, the the knees down and not down, those guys generally will let go unless they're just one hundred percent sure they're down. And you see you see them calling a player down. Uh, but boy when it's questionable, it's best to let it go and that is exactly how we're trained to do. Okay. Let's move on now to philosophy. Now, and this is one of those questions, Dick, that is is broad, but it goes to the heart of what maybe we're seeing today. Who wants to be an official? Because when you are bringing yourself up in the little leagues, you got parents and people are yelling and screaming at you and calling you all kinds of vile names, getting in fights. Who wants that? And and who has to be educated and understand? that this is a hard job and they're doing it basically for very little pay, but for the love of the game. But it's one of those things that I think, you know, young officials coming up, they're experiencing this kind of behavior. If if you were to ask the executive directors of the high school athletic associations, the one issue they have and have not been able to solve is how you get people into officiating and what keeps people out and particularly keeps women out is the abusive nature of fans. And I, I don't know how we I don't know how we stop this. A junior high parent thinks his kid is going to the NFL because he's bigger or stronger than the, the, the kid he's playing against. And therefore anything that's called against that hurts that kid is is a problem. So I, I don't know how we get it, but it is a real issue because we can't get young people into officiating. The financial aspect is nice. It's, it's, it's a little bonus, but the abuse, it's not worth it. And that's the toughest part, I think, about creating a bench, if you will, that can go in and replace the older guys, and that bench is better, or that bench is learning, because nobody wants to be on the bench and come up through the ranks, because coming up through the ranks is so difficult, so abusive, that it's like, why do I need to go through this? Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it takes time, I mean, to, uh, to, to get up through the ranks. So we always started with junior highs. It's no different. It may be as bad in junior highs as it is in high school or even when you get to college. The oh, good news with college, they're, they're farther away. Right. And no, and in Little League, it's that way. I, I, I've seen oh, stories yeah. about it. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe it's money that the parents and these people think that that junior high kid that you, the parents think are going to go to the NFL – is having their money taken away from them because of this official. Yeah. And I think the money no has uh, been an issue for a lot of kids, and, and we're seeing it in name, image, and likeness at the collegiate ranks. Oh. It's just changed the entire landscape of amateur and collegiate athletics. Okay. Let's get in real quick. Is quickly. there amateur? Is there amateur? That's the question. No, I, <laughs> uh, we, we, I did a whole uh, podcast, uh, Conversations With, with uh, Jared Wangler, who has a yep. – uh, who has a name, image, and likeness deal going with the University of Michigan. And it is crazy. And there are no rules, Dick. It's the wild, wild west out no. there. Yes, it is. It's nothing like when I played or when you played. And uh, no. I don't know where it's going, believe me. But I, 
I see the uh, a semi pro aspect to all of this, and it, that's not pleasant for me to see coming down the road. I think for all of us, that's the case. Okay, let's quickly go over rule changes now. Right now, next year they're going to speed up the college game, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Every first down, whether it's it ends up inbounds or outbounds, the clock will not stop until the last two minutes of each half. So, so they figure that will take maybe four or five minutes out of the game over over a period of time. And the, the amount of passing that's going on and the stopping of the clock uh, has uh, has initiated this. So I think that's a uh, that's a very good rule. It's going to be a little tougher on the officials, and it's going to be slow the game from a standpoint of that team that wants to run, you know, 160 plays in a game. We're not going to – the officials are still going to keep the same pace and put the ball in just as if the clock had been stopped. There won't be any changes in that. It'll just still be – they'll still have to put the ball down and play and get back in position and do all these things. So it'll take some time out of the game. Well, it's a player safety issue too. There'll be less plays run. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, they addressed that when they got to the uh, overtime rule when there were seven or eight overtimes in a game. They said, we're not going to have this. This is, you know – we're adding on 20, 30 plays to a, to a game in which there's 90 degree temperatures out there. So they set that, they set that. So that would only be two or three at the most, you know, saving some issues. One other thing they did, and, and this is, to me, this is a great rule, only one timeout at a time. So you can't ice a guy by taking all three of your timeouts at an end of the game. You get one and that's it. If you take a second one, that's basically a, a penalty against you. Is that the deal? No, you can't take it. They you will not take give it. it to you. They won't issue you the timeout. And no. here, here's how we're going to finish this one up. Those are the key rule changes. I mean, obviously, I, I like the idea of getting a second opinion in the booth uh, for the replay guy. Yeah. Uh, and I hope that they stick to the idea indisputable video evidence and understand what the word indisputable means. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and the last one is you were in the booth. Uh, you've been in the booth before and you did some work with the uh, university of Michigan radio crew this past season. How did you like that being yeah. a member of the media, Dick, the hated <laughs> ugly media? <laughs> you know, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, the guys that I worked with, uh, uh, you know, in Michigan radio were, were terrific. Uh, I think I might have added a few things uh, to uh, to the broadcast. It wasn't a lot, but uh, we'll see. I don't know if we're going to do it again or not, but uh, I really enjoyed it. I hate to say that. So, uh, no, no, I, uh, you know. I'm glad you were there. I, I, when, I was kind of mad we didn't do it. You were working, though, when, when I was doing the games a lot, so I didn't have the opportunity to – to work with you or come up with that idea. But I like that idea. I would have loved to have had you in the booth just to, you know, pass the time. We'd have gotten you on the air and talked a little bit about this, talked a little bit about that. Uh, what did you enjoy about it? Because I love doing games. I mean, I love broadcasting, being play-by-play, being there. As an official, seeing that whole process, what did you like about that radio broadcast? Well, you know what I found out is, is that they're really no more than, than, than we think they know. And they're very much attuned to the game. Although they are very pro the school that they're broadcasting for, which they should be. Exactly. Uh, but I think you, you're right. I think it just it gave, to me, it gave a little more personality to the, the broadcast than maybe was, was there just being stark. Uh, it, it added a little something maybe to, 
to what they were doing and what they were saying, just because we could kid back and forth about some things. And what did you find that you were giving to the broadcast? I mean, I know that you didn't just sit up there and sit on your hands. You were involved and you were engaged. What are the things that you found that you were helpful most with, or what did they come to you with questions about? I think that the philosophy of what was done on the field, why they did something, uh, there, were, there was a play in the game in which uh, they had the wrong spot uh, at the end of a kick. And, uh, uh, and they quickly, re- or there might have been a down player that, that picked up a fumble but was down and ran a little bit. But anyway, uh, the fact that now the, the replay booth can just call down there and say, put it on the 20-yard line, his knee was down, and that's it, and it's done, uh, is that I could talk about the philosophy of what was happening out on the field that they're probably not aware of. Dick, uh, you've, you've helped us a lot today, understand rules and, and, and literally officiating is, is tougher than it ever has been. Uh, and yet th- these guys, these girls that are in the game are necessary and, and God knows there's plenty more places for them to learn their craft. I mean, there's the XFL, there's the USFL, there's, you know, the NBA, the NBA D league, there's, Sports going on everywhere, yet they don't get appreciated, but the job is so tough. And sadly, mistakes are made. Players aren't perfect, and, and officials aren't either. I think maybe that's what people have to understand, huh? I agree. You know, these things are – these XFL and, and the leagues and the D-leagues and whatnot, those are great, but officials still need time and plays. Uh, you know – Everything is, you got more stuff on video now. You got more opportunities to, to, to watch plays. But watching video and watching games is not like being on the field. When your adrenaline pops up and you got to make a decision, can you make it? And that takes time. It takes plays, reps of, of seeing things. And I think sometimes, and, and this maybe go back to your, your thought about the NFL officials is, are they moving them too quickly? Are they taking some people too quickly? Do we need a little more experience before we, we jump into that, that realm? Uh, should they be more like 40, 45 years old as opposed to 30 years old because they've had a chance to, to see more and do more things than uh, they have today, even though you've got the videos and you've got all this, this information out there, uh, technology. Nothing replaces being on the field and making the decisions. That's a fact. And I can tell you this for a fact, too. I broadcast probably seven or 800 NFL football mm-hmm. games and probably more than that at the collegiate level. And there were games in my last year where things happened that I went, I've never seen that before. And I'm sure that's <laughs> the same with officials. I mean, and yet they've got to be prepared to rule on that and kind of go back right. in their memory banks in the rule book and try to get it right. And that's got to be the most right. difficult job ever. Yeah, people, people are getting into, into the college level at five years. It took me 10 years of high school. Right? And I think that was to my benefit. We're moving people maybe too quickly. Uh, that's my philosophy on it. Uh, uh, hopefully I'm not right, but, you know, I think uh, what you view, maybe I'm closer than, uh, than I'd like to be. Well, Dick, I wish you nothing but the best fairways and greens for you, my friend. (laughs) And no three putts, okay? (laughs) 
<laughs> That's the deal. <laughs> Dick, the you're best. You. Thank you so much for joining us on Conversations With. I always enjoy it. I always enjoy it. Thanks, Jim. You bet. Thanks for joining us today on Conversations With. You're more than welcome to go back and listen to past episodes of some of the conversations I've had with athletes, newsmakers, and personalities that have been kind enough to join me on Conversations With. I also invite you to go to my website, jimbrandstatter.com, and explore my blogs and other activities. Just as a heads up, I enjoy cooking, reading, and photography, to name a few hobby-type things. My website features some of those hobbies like food recipes, book reviews, photography that some have told me, borders on the frameworthy, and interesting videos from my broadcast past. When you visit jimbrandstatter.com, you can explore them all. Let me know what you think on the Contact Me page. In the meantime, check out my YouTube channel, The Brandy Show, and become a subscriber. I also have a Facebook page and Twitter account if that's more your style. So keep an eye on those social media sites for details on new episodes of my podcast, Conversations With. I'll let you know when they're up and ready to go. Thanks again for joining us on Conversations With.